Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Proximo Energy and Infrastructure Podcast. This is your host, Thomas Hopkins, reporting to you from London. I am delighted to be returning to including guest slots on the podcast in this episode. This week, I interview Pierre Georges, a global coordinator in ESG analytical communication at S&B Global Ratings. His recent report, The Energy Transition and the Diverging Credit Path for European Utilities, takes a look at how European utilities were fairly well prepared to weather the COVID-19 hurricane, as well as their continuing advance into the renewable energy space. I caught up with Pierre to talk more about this pertinent subject. So, Pierre, the report indicates that the strong fundamentals of European utilities prepared them for the economic impact of the COVID-19 crisis. In what ways were utilities well prepared and what challenges did COVID-19 present for them? Thanks for the question. So that's, that, that was quite interesting to see that at the beginning of the crisis, uh, we indeed saw the utilities pretty well positioned uh, to, to face those challenges. And why that? It's notably because they have de-risked their activities over the past years. And notably, they focused on networks, which, is regulated, which are regulated, and contracted generations, notably renewables with subsidies and PPAs, and moving away from all of the merchant power activities, which are by definition more volatile. So that, that was already a kind of a more defensive profile that they have built, uh, notably since 2016, and they enter 2020 and the COVID-19 crisis on a defensive mode. What's more, they also put quite a lot of pressure uh, or uh, kind of uh, more strengths when it comes to digitalization and automation. And what, it may, what I mean by that is they, they improve the way they manage their assets, they increase the flexibility, the reliability, the efficiency, to rapidly adapt to fast changing moving, um, to fast moving changes. And that's actually what happened uh, during COVID-19 crisis. You had a drop in demand, and at the same time, you needed to quickly adapt with a, a drop in power prices. And because they were more contracted, because they have more defensive uh, revenue streams, and because they were able to adapt uh, their, um, their asset base, they were relatively resilient during that, during that phase. The other element, which, is, which was more on the supply side, uh, and what one of the key challenges that we uh, saw at that time was the, the, the risk of bad debt. Uh, and what we saw in action somehow was again the, the, the digitalization when it comes to uh, invoicing. So actually there was a significant improvement in the way they um, collect cash and that was done through the through the digitization and that was a, a good way to limit uh, that risk of bad debt because they were able to effectively collect very fast uh, very quickly the, um, uh, the the money and at the same time they could be in a position to cut power for those who didn't pay that was uh, one of the key strengths so all in all that's what we meant by being prepared uh, for, for that crisis Thanks, Pierre. That's good to hear, actually. Um, the report refers to the energy transition and the ambitious decarbonisation goals of many European governments. Uh, to what extent are European energy markets favouring renewable energy over conventional power generation, and how is this being achieved? Well, we have one mantra in Europe, which is quite simple. We want to reach net zero carbon economy by 2050. 
Now the energy sector remains one of the most uh, polluting industry. You just need to make substantial efforts to get to this level. And that's notably on the power generation side. So in this context, you just need more renewables uh, and you need those renewables to grow fast. While conventional, and by conventional, we notably mean thermal generation is deemed to reduce significantly. And that's starting with coal. On the gas side, uh, you need also to make great progress to, to reduce your carbon footprint through new technologies, and it also takes time. So all in, so far, the, 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 the investments are mostly driven towards renewables, which really meets what, um, uh, what the, the new European policies and the upcoming taxonomy is, uh, is pledging for. Uh, on, on the other side, you have other technologies which are a low carbon footprint and which are conventional, notably nuclear. Uh, but here we're in the limbo, and notably because of the taxonomy. And this is due to the, the waste concerns, and uh, th those waste concerns do not totally fit with the uh, not environmentally um, um, harmful uh, criteria set by Europe. And so, so, so therefore, we don't know exactly how the, that part of the conventional generation is going to develop for now. So we're waiting for more, more insight or more uh, deliberation from the European. Um, Commission on that aspect, uh, but beyond that, uh, that, that taxonomy effect, we also see the, the economics, the social opposition, the technology and regulatory risk linked to, uh, uh, to nuclear as being, uh, an, I mean, significant challenges for uh, a new spread of nuclear projects in Europe. So that's, in a nutshell, why we see renewables, the growth in renewables being uh, really favored into that, that uh, European environment. Thanks, Pierre. And uh, are there any significant risks for utilities heavily invested in supplying renewable energy in relation to conventional power competitors? Now, of course, investments in renewables are far from uh, being uh, risk-free. Uh, on our side, actually, we, we do make that comparison within that, uh, that same bracket of uh, all power generation times. They are better positioned, but, but there are some risks. And those risks start with uh, the, um, the, the fact that even if the technologies are, are more mature, uh, the construction risks continue to exist, uh, notably for offshore winds. Uh, you also need to make the right choice when it comes to, to the site, and, uh, and that, the, that site decision is uh, changing quite a lot the, uh, the economics of the project. And, and that, that creates a development uncertainty, especially for newcomers. So that's part of the risk. I mean, you cannot go to the market and say, well, I'm, I'm investing in renewables and I'm uh, risk-free because I have subsidies. Now, actually, you really need to have the right performance when it comes to weather conditions. And that, that is highly dependent upon, upon the site and upon the, uh, the optimization of the technology that you are using. So I was talking about this, uh, the, the, the fact that you have variable weather conditions. And you see that's, that's a risk for, for, for those players if you compare to conventional power generation. And eventually uh, some further climate change uh, could, uh, could uh, impact uh, performance during uh, the operation phase. The other element which uh, I think is quite important compared to, to conventional power uh, generation is 
the price you have to pay to, to enter that market. So for newcomers, again, there's a notion of, uh, uh, of, of uh, financial performance uh, linked to uh, your, your entry price, which you may not have for, for uh, conventional generation just because, again, the technology is more mature and the site is less of importance. And to the contrary, uh, you could actually make quite a lot of money these days with conventional power. Uh, so not to say that uh, everything is bad <laughs> on that front. Actually, there are, there are some winning positions for some time, and notably on the, the, from the fact that we are expecting some uh, upside uh, risk on, on power prices, which will certainly benefit uh, those, uh, those players. Thanks, Pierre. And uh, what will be the effect of zero subsidy renewable energy on the competitiveness of utilities that are very active in the renewable energy space? Well, the first comment I would make is that it's still a marginal portion of new uh, renewables projects. So at this stage, this uh, zero subsidy risk is relatively limited still. Uh, when you look at the pipeline of utilities, actually you have 90 to 95%, which is still either contracted or subsidized, and that's for the coming uh, three to five years. So the subsidy-free projects are obviously uh, doing the uh, headlines uh, because, because we see those risks, especially as uh, it's in uh, some, sometimes with a mega, uh, mega projects, uh, notably in offshore winds, but, but overall, the market is still uh, long-term contracted uh, before, before you get to uh, the final investment decision. Yet, so when you say that, uh, why would you go subsidy-free? Um, I think that what we see today is that there is a, a vision for the market, for the part where you're ready to take that risk, that you can easily sign a PPA, um, uh, to, to, to actually make that project uh, bankable. And, that's, and, and why would you have th those PPA? I think it's a question of, uh, of market evolution or where we see that industrials will need to disclose more on their carbon footprint and how, well, how they are going to, to reduce that. And that's the, notably the scope two part of the, uh, of the uh, carbon uh, emissions. Meaning that so you have scope one, which is their direct emission, and scope two is the uh, carbon emissions, which are linked to the um, uh, power that you are power or heating that you are using. And on that front, industrials, as they will um, uh, disclose more about their scope two emission, we need to make uh, to, to show that they are doing efforts and will be ready to sign PPAs. So that's one angle. The other angle is if we see some growth in the uh, green hydrogen um, industry, as uh, Europe ambitions to do, you also need that kind of uh, renewable um, source. And it may be better for, uh, for, the, for the utility to effectively go outside the subsidy scheme and get a PPA attached to the, those uh, uh, green hydrogen uh, production. So that's, that's the way we view the market. So ultimately, what I'm saying here is that the merchant's part of renewables is likely to be very limited for the next, uh, next five years at least, and certainly even more. Thank you. And uh, the, the report predicts an investment super cycle from utilities in relation to achieving the energy transition. Why particularly might an investment super cycle occur 
and are there any downside risks attached? Yeah, so, so, so super, the investment super cycle comes from the, the, the need for, for those renewables that I was uh, alluding before. Uh, the, there is a need for massive investment in renewables or green energies to reduce the carbon footprint of the sector and eventually carbon footprint of, of industrials. And that, so, so those investments will start with renewables, but then once you have those, uh, those new projects uh, uh, being built, you also need to connect them and uh, to connect them to the network, which will also, and notably the power networks, will also need to invest massively to integrate those renewables, so connect them on one side and manage the uh, intermittency and volatility uh, with more automation, more digitalization of the networks uh, in order to make it uh, as resilient as possible. So those two elements actually drive uh, trillions of euros of, of investments in the coming decade and utilities are likely to be on the, uh, on, on the forefront of those uh, investment super cycle. And what we see in our numbers today when we look at the forecast uh, um, of, uh, of our uh, utilities is that investments will indeed uh, increase quite significantly, uh, more than 20% per year. Uh, and, and that will be, uh, I mean, when we look at the, the economics, uh, that will be uh, to the detriment of, uh, of growth in, uh, in dividends, which is quite interesting. So, so utilities understand that they want to protect their balance sheet to effectively invest more because there is a lot of growth coming rather than being a, a yielding company distributing a lot of dividends. And that's, uh, so everyone is getting prepared for, for, for that, that, that wave. On the gas side, with that we see much less investments there, and notably because of the net zero target. It doesn't mean that it will not come. Uh, I was talking about uh, the uh, uh, hydrogen, uh, green hydrogen strategy for Europe. And effectively, if the pilot phase, which runs from now to 2025, um, starts to, to, to bring some, uh, some uh, promising uh, commercial aspects to it and technical aspects and that uh, the hydrogen story effectively goes ahead, uh, there will be a, a significant need for adaptation for, for the gas sector. But that will not come in the first years, it's rather post-2025 and even uh, post-2030 that there could be some uh, optionality for a significant acceleration of capex there. You were asking about the downside risk uh, for such, um, uh, such a super cycle. I think it's uh, the, the way we view it, it's mostly about regulation. Of course, one could say uh, execution of such a large capex plan, which is not negligible, but, uh, but I think the, the, the regulation part is, uh, is going to be very important, notably because it means that uh, such investments need to be financed and need to be, uh, and therefore you still, I mean, the, the, the other part of the equation is you want to, to keep an affordable energy across Europe uh, for industries to make them competitive and for purchasing power when it comes to, to consumers. So, and, and that part of the, um, uh, of the equation, so the regulation that will effectively set a price for such investments is still under construction and there may be some risks around that. Thanks very much, Pierre. In the report, there is a reference to a trend of improving financing conditions for European utilities. In what respects have financing conditions improved and 
Do you foresee any impact on these conditions from the aftermath of the COVID-19 crisis? Well, actually, the, the way we view it uh, on a macro basis is that uh, interest rates uh, remain low and uh, are likely to remain low for quite some time, uh, especially compared to the past decade. So just in itself, those are what we call improving financing conditions. The other elements um, are in Europe, the fact that you have a green deal that favors uh, the energy transition, the ECB uh, and the EIB are likely to uh, boost those conditions for, for utilities because you want to drive uh, the financing or the funding uh, towards uh, the energy transition. And utilities are by definition among the best place to, uh, to effectively drive that energy transition. And therefore the money, uh, the cheap money is actually uh, benefiting to, to the, those utilities who can showcase uh, the, a pipeline of projects which are green and which are in favor of the energy transition. And that, on top of that, you put the um, uh, investor appetite who also need to demonstrate their efforts to, to reduce their carbon footprint through their investments. And you see uh, everything being uh, positioned for uh, driving the money towards the utility sector and benefiting from the best um, capital market conditions to, to fund themselves. And that's, that's, that's true for the uh, debt side, obviously. But it's also true on the equity side where we saw the, the valuations of the, uh, some of the uh, uh, best um, position utilities into the energy transition being uh, significantly up and, uh, and as per the, the, I mean, the recently the uh, uh, capital increase from EDP, uh, we can see that it's a great opportunity as well to, um, to, to effectively uh, tap the equity market. Thanks. And just one final question. Um, what risks do utilities more heavily invested in coal, gas and nuclear currently face? I think that the first element I would put is the uh, aging assets. I mean, those are conventional assets which have been there for quite some time. And, um, and therefore, some of them are actually quite mature and uh, should either be reinvested or, or close. And of course, you don't want to put more money into a thermal asset these days in a net zero carbon economy uh, to, to revamp them and make them uh, available for another 20 years. So the risk they take is early closures on one side, aging assets, as I was mentioning, and stricter regulations. Those are the, the three elements that we, uh, we see as uh, the, the most important. And then you have kind of the normal risks, but again, which compare negatively uh, to, to renewables, which are the fact that you are uh, exposed to volatile prices, as these assets are most of the time merchant. And for those who are most polluting, and notably the, um, uh, the coal assets, uh, you risk the, the significant increase in carbon price, just as we see these days. And uh, this carbon price may not be totally passed through or could displace the asset into the merit order and accelerate again uh, their closure. Last but not least, and I think that's quite important uh, to, to, to put forward, especially from a credit angle, is the um, lower availability of financing as we move forward. It will be more and more difficult uh, to, to finance uh, those um, thermal those assets or more polluting assets, um, either from the banks or from uh, the investor world. 
will rather put their money on the, um, uh, on the, on the renewables or green projects. Thank you once again to Pierre Georges for joining us this week. I'm afraid that's all we have time for today, but please make sure to tune in again next week for more of the latest insight into the project finance, energy and infrastructure sectors. Mm-hmm.